I love these Roundup episodes. You get all the best stuff in one little itty-bitty package. That's always my goal for the month of December. As I go through, I listen to the episodes again with fresh ears. I want to hear from our guests and see what they were talking about and how they projected the future to be. Turn that into advice for all of you and project out into 2023 what this really means. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. I spent a little time over the last couple of weeks going back over the biggest sports business-related news events of the last year, and I've come to the conclusion that I have no concept of time. It was February 2nd of 2022 when the Washington football team became the Commanders. I'm not saying I like the name, but in my head, that was like two years ago, minimum. This is really the first year of the Commanders? I don't know. Time is so relative nowadays. I I feel like everything's moving so fast. And sometimes when I do these reviews, it's important to just look at the big picture. You know, go back over the last year and not just look at the transactions, not just look at the big moments that happened in the arena of sports, but try to understand the themes, the patterns, the changes in the ways we operate as an industry. For example, we're almost two years into NIL legislation. What have we learned? Who is winning? Where are the game changers? It's not just the athletes themselves, but the companies like Influencer, Open Sponsorship, the collectives, the legal experts like Darren Heitner. What about NFTs, AI, fan engagement, sports betting? These are all the things we knew were coming or happening or merging in 2022. Now that we're through 2022, we can look at them with a fresh set of eyes and say, okay, what what actually happened when these things got unveiled? How did sports betting increase or improve fan engagement? How did NFTs really change the landscape of how fans engaged with athletes? And in a marketing sense, we're able to make one-on-one connections. How did social change over the last year? So that's how we're looking at this. That's always my goal for the month of December as I go through I listen to the episodes again with fresh ears. I want to hear from our guests and see what they were talking about and how they projected the future to be. Turn that into advice for all of you and project out into 2023 what this really means. So where is the growth? Where is our industry headed? These voices that are coming up next are the ones that will tell you. They are the experts and they are the ones that have a vision for where our world will continue to go and to grow. We kick it off with Javier Gutierrez, President and CEO of the Arizona Coyotes. We need to have better content and better engagement and better sort of branding uh, of our players. I think that the hockey community, as you said, is comprised of incredible individuals, incredible human beings, as I get told all the time uh, by my Canadian friends. (laughs) That's the term, it's they're incredible human beings, but their stories don't get out there and the engagement isn't there. And we're certainly trying to focus a lot on that, but we need help. We want partners, we want content creators, we want people who have these innovative ideas to come to us that highlight these incredible human beings who have had just these life-altering stories that I think would be great to get out into the world, that I think would be great for young people, for corporate partners, for communities to hear and to become, you know, attached and engaged with. And I think that's the transformation that you're seeing happening in hockey is they're there, they're great individuals, they have great stories. It's up to us now to make sure that those, those stories get out. Obviously, hockey is not necessarily a sport I grew up with, right? 
but I was so attached to the sharks, right? And why? Because they actually cared about me. They cared to engage in me, uh, with me. They cared to have me be part of their experience. And so for us, what we're trying to do is whatever it is that engages you, whether it's our merchandise, whether it's our content, whether it's the fact that we're going to try to do a great in-game experience and it's about bringing your family and your friends, if you never get on the ice, if you never become a hockey player or, or, or really you know, a hockey fan full-time, but you say, you know what? The coyotes are thinking about me. They're welcoming me. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about the things that we've done in this short amount of time while we've still been COVID challenged. One of the best things that I have really enjoyed is bringing people to their first hockey game who have never been involved. And the very first thing they said, wow, no one's ever invited me. Hmm. No one's ever asked me. No one's ever thought about me as part of the organization. No one, we have been in places that no one ever thought the Coyotes would be at. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, we showed up at a classic lowrider car show, right, in Arizona. And they're looking at me like, why is the hockey team here for that? But you know what? We gave away swag to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. And all of a sudden, they're rocking Coyote gear. Uh, Very early on, a reporter asked me, what would success look like? And I asked the reporter where he was from. And he said he was somewhere from right outside of Little Rock, Arkansas. I said, well, it's when you see kids in Little Rock rocking the kachina on a hat or on a T-shirt because the brand means something to them, because it means that they relate to it, that they're engaged with it. And maybe they never actually even go to a Coyotes game. That, to me, is why we talk a lot about building Coyote fans. The subject of sports betting is so often focused on the legislation and legalization. What states have it? What can you and can't you do? How does this work? How does that work? I'd like to approach this massive subject a little differently. What opportunity does it present for employment? VP of Gaming for the PGA Tour, Scott Warfield, really dug into the strategy and approach you should consider for employment in sports betting days of specialized mm-hmm. roles are, are going to be are going to be more limited um, so I always just wanted to have a, a more you know broad understanding of the overall business how it's all connected um, and how we can leverage it to kind of grow audience and then that's kind of been where I've focused again if you look at every role I've I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to have it's been how do you engage a current fan and how do you um, attract a new fan yeah and I saw this at the intersection of both of those, right? So you have a, you know, a fan base that um, in both NASCAR and the PGA Tour, um, and not just those two organizations. I mean, sports in general tends right now to be a little bit older and whiter. And I believe there's a handful of ways for a, a, a new fan to come into the sport. I think it's through social media. I think it's through esports. I think now it's through metaverse, NFTs. Sports betting is one of those, and um, yeah, I think there's a huge commercial opportunity for all the stakeholders, including the tour. Yeah. But the lens through which we look at it is literally, you know, engagement, which is going to drive viewership, which is a high tide lifts all boats, right? If we do this right and more people are in a responsible way betting $5 in the final three holes of the Valspar Championship, our quarter hour TV ratings go from here to here. Our media yep. deals go from here to here. Our title sponsorships go from here to here. 
yes, there's direct revenue, um, and we're going to realize that, but using it to grow the game is where my passion point is. So if you're a, a writer, reporter, you're seeing it like with Darren Ravel and Action Network, it's it's huge business. Uh, if you're a tech person, a developer, massive opportunity. If you're more into the data side, that that is huge. Sales, you know, right now we're kind of, again, I'm an expert in nothing, uh, trying to be jack, jack of all trades a little bit, but I think all of those pieces, this is like any new business. It's um, all of it can be PR. We have a, a, a PR group and a, a PR person that, that is helping with, with kind of the gaming side. So it's, um, you know, sometimes can be broad, but I think all of it can have, you know, all of it can be applied to, to this part of it. Um, I also just think, you know, that this moment in time where web three and, mixed reality and metaverse and nfts and gaming and renewable energy like I, it feels like the next five ten years which the sports business world is going to change more than it might have in the two or three decades combined before that so true and, and for a lot of these kids um that are coming out like they, they have a lot of this stuff at their their fingerprints they grew up on these platforms yep. they're going to be more educated on it now it's about just getting in Right. And and sometimes that's the hardest thing is getting into the sports business, figure out where to go from there. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's it's like anywhere else. Like you got to be flexible in your mm-hmm. path. Right. You got to be kind. Yeah. I don't think we talk about that enough. You probably do. But in a business setting, I think, you know, being kind and, and yeah. um, doing business the right way is important. Mm-hmm. Your reputation. Yeah. Your reputations of everything, right? Yep. Um, and that goes back to this small world conversation too. Yeah. If you're not kind or you don't handle your business the right way, that'll come back around. We have a term, don't hire some things. Um, I won't say it here, but but that's, assholes? you know. The, you can yeah, say it. <laughs> don't hire assholes. And, you know, it, it, it's, we work too hard and too long to deal with that. And so I, again, that's just one of those traits you can pull no matter if you get into sports or not. And then the, you know, challenging the status quo, asking the question why is one that I just always harp on. Right. Is like, there's a lot of stuff that happens. It's traditional and we've, this is the way we've done it. Um, I, I I always look for the, the, the interviewee or the person that's going to say, Hey, that's dumb. Why are you doing that? Sometimes the answer is this is why. And, that makes sense. A lot of times it's, I'm not sure. We just, we've always done it that way. So those are, um, you know, a roundabout way of answering, answering your question, but those are things that I think you can uh, apply in a, yeah. a, a sports business world for sure. 2022 was a game changing year for women's sports with increased visibility, greater financial backing and consistency in programming. More eyes were watching women compete than ever. It was also a game changing year for content creation. Combine those two things into a Venn diagram, and the overlap is Camille Buxeda, director of WSLAM, creators of some of the absolute best content around women's basketball and a true visionary in our space. I'm like a nervous wreck half the time. If anyone that knows me, they know. So the It doesn't ones, come off that way at all. Know. I appreciate that. So, and I appreciate you saying that about my work. I mean, I think one thing that like everyone struggles with, but especially myself, is I, I tend to view myself in a judging, from a judger's perspective, as opposed to like an objective view. And sometimes yeah. I do the same with my work. But with my work, I try to really take an objective view to it as opposed to just being so like emotionally tied. And and people always say it's it's not personal, it's business. But to me, this business is personal. And so yes. it's really hard to to really separate the one from the two. Um, 
it's still something I'm learning. I don't think I'm fully there. I I think when it comes to confidence is it's I know that I've put in the work and the effort and the research and the preparation to to, you know, provide a great product. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I try to rely on that, but I also know and understand that I'm never going to be perfect. And that's something that took me a while to accept and, and really accept, like not fake accept, real accept. It's a good distinction there. Yeah. And so, and, and I don't know if I'm fully there yet because I still beat myself up when mistakes are made as opposed to being like, okay, you know, this happened on to the next. And sometimes I, you know, I, again, I like to overanalyze and sit there and think like, well, why did I make this decision or why did I do this? And, and, um, you know, you can go in circles all day long, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, I just try to think of it as, uh, as without so much pressure because that's when mistakes, um, and, and that's when you really get down on yourself. So yeah, I think I'm still learning. I think when it comes to my work, I just, I really try to take a deep breath and, and let it go and, 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 you know, rely on my preparation and my skill. Um, but I also understand that I'm only gonna get better. You know, growth is still happening and that, you know, even when mistakes are made or errors are made, you know, that's only providing you an opportunity for growth and to get better at the next time. So I try to be easy on myself and and, and have some compassion with myself in those situations. But it's not all the time. I, I appreciate you saying that it comes off that way, but it definitely is not. <laughs> I, I think for me, it was always about like, I think Slam laid out a really cool um, foundation, you know, in the very beginning when it came to covering basketball in general, which is really taking an artistic perspective on it. Um, exactly like intersection based as opposed to like X's and O's. Yeah. Um, and so they were one of the first to do that. And I think that was something that was missing in women's basketball. So I thought, you know, the, the, the blueprints there, it's how do we apply it to women's um, and, and in the beginning, I very literally took the blueprint, but I, I, as time has gone on, I've, I've started, you know, modifying and recognizing that like, you know, the blueprint for men's is not the same for women's and, and yeah. you really have to, um, think and approach things differently, which I did in the beginning a little bit, but like, as I've gone on even more, um, and again, like I mentioned, it's a learning process. So like I take a lot of inspiration or I, I use a lot of inspiration from the fans, from the people that love this game, you know. What, I'm, what do I see them excited to see? What am I excited to see as a person that like, is not only interested in women's basketball, but is interested in fashion or is interested in, in music, you know? Um, that's the type of mentality I try to, I think of. And it's sad to think about it, but like I'm no longer the demographic I'm going for. I'm past it. So sad. I know. No way. Stop so it. I, so I, <laughs> You're still I, square I, in that demographic. No, so I consult a lot with the, with my, with my incredible coordinator, Jayon A. Smith, who's just, I mean, superstar, so went through and through. And I, I, and I consult with a lot of other people um, within the company outside and, and, and just kind of use them as, as mentors. Like, I think everyone I talk to is a mentor. I don't like to use like mentee. Like, I think everyone teaches everyone. So like in a weird way, everyone's a mentor, yeah. um, including my friends. So yeah, I think that's always something that I approach this with and, and, I think it's just evolving over time. I think now that I'm three, almost three years in, like my big focus is storytelling as opposed to like general coverage. I think we, we've gotten to the general coverage and I want to keep doing that. I'm not, but I think my big focus now is storytelling. So um, more original content series, more, um, you know, insight into players, especially on the high school level. I'm really motivated yeah. by telling the stories of young girls um, because 
you know, that's the point in their careers where, and, and they do it for the rest of their lives, but that's the point in their careers that's the most pivotal and where they're making a lot of decisions. And, and we get to see who these players are before, you know, they're on the NCAA stage or the WNBA stage or um, any other um, major stage. So it's definitely something that I'm really passionate about. People need to buy in way more. And like, I'm not even saying me, I'm saying brands, I'm saying across, you know, people are talking the talk, but are they walking the walk? And I just am putting their money where their mouth is. And I just don't necessarily know if that's happened yet. Like I've seen a shift, which is so exciting. Um, but I haven't seen, uh, you know, it to a place where I'm like, this has changed. This is yeah. different. This is a move, you know, movement toward better. I, I know the players are doing everything they can, but now it's the time it's time for the other, for the other half, um, or not the other half, but the other side to, to, you know, step in and do do more because at the end of the day, we can't do much without marketing dollars, without any dollars. And I understand that, you know, everyone's going to make the whatever of like, oh, well, selling tickets and business models and all that. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But like, it, you know, money and effort goes into getting those things, you know, achieved. So um, I think that's where I just see us um, still working towards. And like, I want us to I want the WNBA to be in a place where players don't have to play overseas and, and they yeah. can stay here um, year round and where we have a WNBA season that's longer than two or three months of the year. And, and we're able to turn on a game in November. I think Diana Taurasi said that in an interview. I said to her, I, I asked her, like, where do you want to see it in 25 years? And she's like, I want to turn on my TV in November and catch a Phoenix Mercury game. And I yeah. thought that was just like a really perfect way to, to summarize where I hope this league can be. This past summer, I was a speaker at the Hashtag Sports Annual Conference. Great event. You should consider going this summer. And while I love being a speaker, the best part is listening in on other subject matter experts. At conferences, my strategy is to go to sessions covering areas that I am not that strong in. Sounds obvious, but most people actually gravitate to what they know and look to improve incrementally. I like to make leaps and bounds in areas I don't fully understand. So, with that preamble aside, I wanted to better understand the opportunities in the NFT space. So I spent some time with Sarah Flynn, CMO of Boardroom and 35 Ventures, Kevin Durant's massive company, Greg Carlson for Hall of Goats, and Wanda Jesus from Dapper Labs. I haven't booked one on the show yet, I'm trying, but Sarah and Greg both came on. Greg really broke down this world and the opportunities within, and Sarah, damn, that woman captivates me. Her every word is so smart, and she has such an amazing perspective on the big picture of sports marketing and ingenuity. What is the upside still remaining in NFTs for 2023 and beyond? I'm not sure, but I'd bet on Greg and his team at Hall of Goats. What I love about NFTs and the blockchain is, you know, the ability for us to take a snapshot at any point in time and show the athlete who their fan base is and who, who, who actually owns their NFTs and is supporting them. In addition, you can see at what point somebody jumped on board to support you, right? So if you're a high school senior just committed to some university and launch an NFT, you can see immediately who your supporters are and reward them at that point for being early adopters to you as, as, a, as a student athlete. You know, you take Shohei Otani, right? And his baseball cards are, you know, super valuable and you know exclusive and uh, you know all of all of that which is great yeah but when his card gets resold on ebay shoyotani has zero idea 
who those owners are, right? Yeah. That's why I think the blockchain technology is fascinating because these student athletes can reward their NFT holders at any point that they want and build a digital brand as a result. They can do meet and greets, autograph signings, yep. merch drops, and all of these things can be focused on their NFT holders. Um, so I love the technology because it gives these student athletes a direct line of communication to their holders and they can reward as much or as little as they want. Really, I understand the schedules of a student athlete and how little time that they have. But if they if they want to lean into their audience and build a digital brand, they've got the opportunity to do it right now. You know, I think that what you saw last summer, right? 2021 was like the, the big explosive year of NFTs. Yeah. Um, I think that what you're seeing now is a correction in the market and it's super healthy in all businesses. But I also think that in terms of crypto and NFTs, we're still in early, early innings, probably the first inning. Oh, yeah. So I think that what you're starting to see is smart people with you know bankrolls come in and try and tackle this NFT space the right way and and build brands on you know in in this web3 space i think that what you saw last year was a bunch of cash grab stuff and and projects that weren't well thought out and didn't have really great roadmaps and, and thought behind it yeah it was more people that you know understood social were able to get a product you know upright um pretty quickly standing up pretty quickly and then just trying to take advantage of the thirst and, and some of the greed i think in nfts and the whole get rich quick kind of schemes. Um, yep. But I think what you're seeing now is utility and roadmap and team and message all have to be, you know, the foundation of, of these projects. And, and those are the ones that are going to succeed. 98% of these NFT projects you're going to see, you know, wash out and, and evaporate um, over the mm -hmm. next few months. So does it put pressure on us? Yeah, absolutely. And we welcome it, right? Like I think, what's what's good about what we're doing is is our goal and our mission is to help kids first and foremost and yeah. build a really fun game we're not building a you know a, a complicated tokenomics based web3 game this is a fun video game that includes mm -hmm. nfts and allows holders to play with their favorite players and you know get some of their time and money back that they put into the game the commerce aspect of it has sort of overshadowed the utility of it all, which is that the reality is, is that you can either as a one-time experience or monthly for the rest of someone's life, deliver them utility based on their connection to this digital object, which again, I think as a marketer is super exciting because I love the idea of creating a community NFT where, okay, we picked 10 people to attend this event. And then next month, 10 other people got picked to get this piece of merchandise. And in three months, we want to bring you all in for a conversation about the sports business. And we want to know what you want to know as fans and all of these things. Like, it's very easy access. And I think there's the OG fan club uh, street team piece of me is really excited by it because like those are always the clunkiest experiences. It's really hard to fulfill them. It's really hard to sort of scale them. And at the very, very least, the connectivity to that person who is attached to that object never changes. 
They might move seven times. They might get another email address. They might do all sorts of things. But in theory, they are still connected to this object and you can still reach them through this object. And like, again, like there's a million different things that can go wrong anytime technologically. But the spirit of that, I think, is something that we are just barely starting to tap into. I mean, I honestly think it's 75-25, 75 being the stuff that you know works and the stuff that you know is going to help keep growing the business. Yeah. And then the other 25 is throwing things against the wall. And, you know, some of it is maybe like, you know, figuring out where we sit in the NFT space and figuring out what the metaverse opportunities are and like also keeping an understanding of what everybody else is doing and what's working and not working, because I think that's super important. Um, but also some of it is thinking about like, cultivating newsletters and cultivating yeah. community and things like that. Because the reality is, is that all of the web two stuff is changing so rapidly and all of the algorithms are changing so rapidly that the goal of all of these things is to have direct access to your fans and your audience and to maintain that direct access. And like, it kind of, it doesn't matter if you are showing up someone up at someone's door with a flyer and saying, nice to meet you, yeah. or if you're having them sign up for a newsletter, or if you have offered them an NFT that is then connected to utilities where you can speak, speak to them afterwards, or you're starting a discord. Like there are a million different methods of doing that. And they're kind of equally important in the now. Something I've learned in the four years during this show, everyone has something they are proud of and want to share. Sometimes it's their vision or understanding of a product market fit, like Greg just shared. We're launching a new imprint like Camille, or building boardroom with KD like Sarah Flynn. Other times, like with our next clip, it is pride in the way a guest landed their job. Zach Rabb worked really hard to get his dream job in sports and loved sharing his approach and strategy to getting hired in Major League Baseball. There were a hundred key moments. There were <laughs> Good, so let's go many, through them all. <laughs> there were so many key moments. It's tough to pinpoint one or two or three because you know every call, every post I shared on LinkedIn, every blind email that I sent to people, every interview, every rejection was sort of another brick in that path to get to where I am right now. But if I had to pinpoint one, man, it's so tough. Uh, I, I got to give a shout out uh, to Mike Luteran, who works in the ticketing department at Major League Baseball. I met him at the winter meetings in 2019. I uh, booked a flight and uh, a place to stay for myself on my own dime from Florida, which is where I was at the time. Yeah. Went to the to the minor league baseball job fair there, hung out around the Major League Baseball lobby, you know, doing, doing the things you do at the baseball winter meetings. Yep. And I met Mike Luteran. Uh, we literally had 15 minutes together at a speed networking session at a table that he was running. I guess I made a good enough impression on him. Um, and he's a wonderful, wonderful human being and a genuinely awesome guy uh, who's been working at Major League Baseball for a while. And I made enough of an impression on him, gave him one of my fresh new business cards that I printed just for that job fair, uh, which looked like a baseball with the stitches and everything. I, I went all <laughs> out and just show, showed my passion on my business card. I made an impression on him and then stayed in touch with him throughout the next two years, throughout COVID, throughout a lot of rejections and ups and downs of my job search. Eventually, he was the one that, um, thankfully, thankfully, I will forever be uh, grateful, put in a good word for me. And uh, the rest is history. I've been here now uh, 14 plus months. Okay, so many, so many follow-up questions in there. A couple of things that I love that you said. For one, you didn't meet, was it Mike? Is that what you said? Yeah. You didn't meet Mike, have a networking moment, and then just that was it. 
you continued building that relationship. And that's where I think a lot of people get lost in the concept of networking is that they think it's a moment, not a relationship. That had to make a huge difference in getting him to 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 notice you. And it later in there, layered in there too of of the relationships and the importance of building that, I would ask, you knew you loved baseball, but that's a big, broad opportunity. You could have done anything within the sport. How did you figure out where your fit was going to be and what interests you the most? I mean, you could go sales, you could go marketing, you could go content. There's so many different options. How did you figure out where you wanted to be? Yeah. So, so there's, there's a few parts in that question. I, I would say in, in meeting Mike, there was, you know, there was that initial seed planted, that initial yeah. first impression, um, you know, exchanging names eventually, you know, right after that meeting, connecting on LinkedIn. And we, I wouldn't say we were in touch all the time, you know, but I shared a lot of my journey, a lot of my story on LinkedIn. So I was constantly present and I, and you know, he's there and he, he was seeing that we shared a couple of, a couple of emails, a couple of messages back and forth. Eventually, you know, a year later we had a, a, a call to catch up and talk about where I was at in my job search. And again, this stemmed from a 15 minute conversation. And this was just the genuine yeah. goodness of Mike and um, giving me some time. So yeah, it, it was that planting that seed, but then, you know, not actively every single day, you know, harvesting that seed, but it was just a little bit of a drip irrigation, just staying, staying there, staying present. Um, that, that helped. And, you know, he, he, I guess just from watching my LinkedIn posts, and, and I guess this isn't just specific to Mike, but a lot of people that supported me in my journey followed my, my social media presence, followed what I was doing, the things I was passionate about and realized, even though they weren't working with me at the time, that I'm a, I'm a genuine guy and that I really love the game and that I really care and that I really want to work hard and that I wasn't going to stop at anything less than getting a job in baseball. Now, in terms of what job I wanted to get in baseball, I, you know, I, I wasn't coming straight out of college looking for my first full-time gig or part-time gig or an internship in sports. You know, my background, I, I finished college. I finished graduate school. I got my MBA in 2015. I finished that. So quite some time ago, seven years ago by now, um, I had a couple of full-time jobs when I was living in Israel. I was working some jobs at two different startups uh, over in Israel, two different online e-commerce companies. So I had background. I had experience in different departments, especially when you work in a startup. Uh, you know, there's a lot of similarities to minor league you baseball. You wear a lot of hats. Yeah. You do a lot of things. So I knew what I was interested in. I knew I was interested in the marketing side, the creative side, which is what helped me, you know, share my story on social media because social media came a bit naturally to me. Um, and just marketing myself, essentially building a personal brand for myself, one that attracts people, one that intrigues people. Um, I guess, thankfully, that came naturally to me. And I got to give credit to, you know, my dad, too, for having a bunch of people that have contributed those genes to my life. Um, <laughs> so yeah, marketing, marketing was the way to go. I, I wanted to somehow positively impact the game of baseball, spread it to the next generation, impact communities positively, something along those lines. I didn't know exactly what job title I was looking for. I didn't yeah. pigeonhole myself into a specific department. I knew the things I wasn't necessarily interested in. Like I didn't necessarily want to work on the baseball operation side of things. That wasn't my, where I was, where I was looking. I know I'm not like necessarily the most data focused person. Um, so I, I knew approximately where I fell. It was just a matter of finding the right role, the right team, the right opportunity that fit. My friends, when I told them how many phone calls I had per day, how many emails I was blindly sending people to set up Zoom calls, they were a little surprised. They had no idea what I was putting into it uh, yeah. to just meet different people throughout the industry. Going back to one of the first things I said in the beginning of this chat, I was really starting from scratch. 
I did not know many people. Uh, you know, I just had to, you know, put my name out on Twitter, put my name out on LinkedIn. I designed my own website for myself back in February, 2020, uh, even before COVID, um, and just tell my story a little bit more, you know, add a little bit more substance to it that wouldn't necessarily go on a cookie cutter social platform. And, you know, when I reached out to people, my website, for example, was always in my email signature, was always in my LinkedIn messaging signature. So maybe people, when I reached out to them, they didn't check it out, but some people may have, and it may have helped me stand out and, you know, gotten them to say yes, to have a phone call with me. You know, I, I tried reaching out to people that had stuff in common with me. And this is a common, you know, I heard this reiterated a lot when I was going through my job search. And when I was trying to, you know, find my way into this industry is find people that have something in common with you, whether you went to university with them, which unfortunately I didn't have any of those people to reach out to, uh, <laughs> whether they grew up in the same state as you, whether they're the fans of the same sports team as you, whether they work in the department that you're interested in or that you have experience in previously. So I tried to aim, I tried to aim that way. You know, for me, my, you know, the, the core part of my journey was around the Israel baseball team. So I reached out to a lot of people that, I saw that I remembered had tweeted out about the Israel baseball team back during their run in 2017 in the World Baseball Classic, and they were working for so-and-so team now. And I reached out to them and I said, hey, you know, here's my story. Here's my background. I figured it would catch their attention uh, and then have a quick chat with them. I had so many calls. And, you know, one thing I did for every single call and, you know, trying to rewind my life a little bit to remember all this as we speak, yeah. I took notes from every single call. I took notes from every single call so that I would remember when I followed up with them in an email afterwards or in a LinkedIn message. And I always, always followed up afterwards, no matter how productive the call was, you know, some were absolute hits, some were less so always followed up. I always had notes to, you know, mention one or two things that we discussed in the call. I could look back six months later and remember exactly what we discussed in the call. I could look back one and a half years later and remember exactly what we discussed in the call I took very diligent notes, you know, asked a bunch of follow-up questions, prepared in advance of the call. You know, you can't go in cold to these calls. You have to know who you're speaking to. You have to know their background. You have to know what points you're going to ask about. Um, there was there was a lot of preparation to the point where I got I got really experienced at it, where I didn't need to prepare an hour, an hour and a half in advance for each call. Yeah, yeah. I could speed prepare, you know, within half an hour, 15 minutes for a call and be really prepared and wing it as I needed to. And uh, you know, the confidence was, was growing with each of these calls and it, it was, it was a wild time. I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell a really quick story. Yeah. I was, I don't know, a year into my job, not, not a year. I would say I was six months into my informational interviews, you know, all, all the phone calls and zoom calls I was having. And then COVID hit when COVID hit, I was actually in Israel. I had gone there for a friend's two friends weddings and got stuck there for four months when the skies closed. Yeah. And here I was with this dream of working in baseball still. The sports industry was in shambles, right, at the time. No one was hiring. So I said, you know what? Now's my opportunity when people are home, put my foot on the gas, reach out to as many people that I see are relevant, and just keep having conversations with people because I'm probably not going to find a job in the next four to six months. I was realistic about that. <laughs> um, and here I was in Israel, which is a seven-hour time difference from Eastern time and a 10-hour time difference from Pacific time. So I had that additional barrier where I was having informational interview calls at like 11 o'clock PM where I was yeah. so that I could catch someone at 4 PM or 1 PM in America, something like that. 
And I just kept at it. The people that I was, you know, with uh, in Israel when I was stuck there for the first four months of the pandemic couldn't believe how many calls I was having. And it really kept me going. It gave me something to do. Like everyone was stuck at home at that time. I know now is a very different time. So the advice I'm necessarily giving now isn't super applicable because everyone's busy with their jobs these days. Um, But that, that was a story where, you know, I had an obstacle, an additional slight obstacle of a massive time difference that I had no control over then, but I wasn't going to let it stop me. It was just motivational factor to put my foot on the gas even more. Last batch. We're going to finish off with some motivation and some social. Sports is meant for social media. Continuous source material, fast pace, creative mindset, incredible visuals, data, hot takes, debates. Sports is the reason I do social. I don't care about cat videos or your thoughts on politics, but I love sports on social. Our next two clips come from two of the brightest minds in the sports social media world. Becca Jenikoff, social media manager for the Dallas Mavericks, who shares how she got this incredible job and how she is driven to prove. And Nicole Williams, lead sports producer at Snapchat, who has such a great idea on the purpose of social and how connection and the engagement of fans and that overlapping connection with athletes is what matters the most. We have a monthly calendar. Within this calendar is a monthly calendar, a coverage calendar, players' birthdays, player roster, just so we have all of these things that we can plan for in advance. Those kinds of things are so crucial, especially when people are covering for each other because nothing is reactive when it comes to weekly content. Like, we're not just sitting there being like, hmm, what do I want to post today? No, like we have a calendar where... On, on the 15th of each month, we start the new calendar. Mm-hmm. We have to be creative and like really come up with like, especially during the summer, August is a dead month. Yep. Like July, June and July, we have draft, we have summer league, September, we have media day and training camp. Like August is dead month. Right now it's like crickets. Yeah. And so it's tough. And like, and like the NBA will tell us, you know, like NBA dunk week is eight one. And then here are the rest of the weeks that we're going to like, you know, have a hashtag for. And immediately our intern starts pulling, you know, clip pro clips and in our baseline videos and putting them in a Dropbox for each day mm-hmm. in the middle of July, because like we can't just sit around and wait till Monday to try to find a dunk. No, we want a list of the top 10 dunks, the top 10 handles, the top 10 assists, and we will we will prep them all and then we will see which ones make the feed, you know, so it's not up to chance whatsoever. So I obviously am often on social media myself, scanning through the feeds to see what's trending, what went viral and why. And honestly, I think I've seen a big response to the individual athlete more so than the teams. Like people want to have these one-on-one connections with who's playing that sport. And I think that's why we're asking now for more athletes to share, what did you do before the draft? Or what are you doing in between games? Um, what's it like to get in an argument with your teammates? Like we want these unfiltered moments and cause we feel like it helps us just human, like humanize these people who are like yes. superstars. Like we want to see how they relate to us on like in a day to day. And so I think that above else is something that I think is really just compelling to viewers in sports today. Cause obviously to your point, we all can see the highlight, but I wanted yeah. to see Ja's dad kind of dap it up with Usher after the highlight. Because how cool is that, that these athletes have these now connections with people in music. Mm -hmm. And so I just really love how people really just want to have more of these connections with who they're rooting for. 
And I think that's exciting because we're seeing that also kind of translate to what we see as successful in SNAP too, with just getting this unfiltered access in whatever way people can format that, whether it's like a follow doc, whether it's truly like that story approach where it's just going through their day-to-day routine. That's just been really compelling for our viewers. My role itself, like when I look at pitches, like we want shows to be very fast paced and we want it to have live dynamic visuals. And we really just want it to be something that catches your eye. Like, I also don't want to mislead the point of saying like fast paced music has to be cut into like this super fast montage where everything's only two seconds long. It's more so a pace where it's hard to look away and obviously you can keep your interests. And for that reason, we really prioritize like the cold open. Like, how are you starting your episode? What's that first shot that they see? And it doesn't have to be someone screaming. It doesn't have to be like a slam dunk. It's just how obscure and engaging can that moment be where people have to stick around to watch, see what happens next. And so that's something that we really prioritize when we look at at least sports content on our platform. Yeah. Um, just wanting to grab that user attention because we know that people are multitasking. We know that people aren't necessarily like sitting down on the couch for the night to watch a Snapchat show. So how can we keep their interest there? And definitely in this space of working in social and digital, because I feel like the assumption is that what's the answer to making this go viral? What's the answer to making this get a million views? And I feel like they just have that sometimes there's this expectation to know how to deliver that. And I think sometimes, obviously, you hear people say it's a science, like it's all about rigging the algorithm or other people say you just need a celebrity. But I've seen in both instances how that's not always the solve. And so it's definitely a challenge and it's definitely stressful at at times where you think you present an idea and you think it had the ability to go the lengths and it doesn't. And I just think that's just a testament to just how frenetic people can be in the social media space. And it's had it's and I think it's important, again, to not so just much focus on what goes viral, but to truly value strong content, because strong content, I think, will always be surfaced to the right fans that will get that engagement that they're looking for. And that's what I've come to learn and value, like the engagement we see with different sports. I mean, obviously, like a track and field show won't be the same as the NFL show, but that engagement number, how long they're watching how much they are subscribing to the content, coming back to watch more. I value a lot in that because I know that's a good experience. Yeah. And so I've come to learn just how important it is to, to truly just be appetizing for all viewers and not be so much caught up in the virality of it all. I just love that Snapchat has that, that feel for me to get that experience. I love these Roundup episodes. You get all the best stuff in one little itty bitty package. That last little bit from Nicole really cracks me up. That concept of going viral and what bosses always say, like, I want you to do something on social that goes viral is just hilarious to me, as if it's something that can be controlled. I remember writing an article once that was on why hockey players are tougher than baseball players. And it did all these comparisons between injuries that happened in hockey where hockey players kept going and injuries that happened in baseball when they went on the IR for months. And it was funny and a kind of comical approach to it. And I got over 150,000 likes on Facebook, over like 800 views of 800,000 views of the article. Uh, it was viral. It was crazy. I was getting all kinds of requests for, you know, my point of view on on this subject matter, which was funny. But I, I went back and said, oh my gosh, I need to do more this style. And I'd write more articles that way and they wouldn't take off. So you can't bank on that. Make good content and that's all you can bank on. You can't bank on the results. So anyway... Thanks, everyone. These Roundup episodes end up being so much fun. Like I said, you get so much information in a little space. 
One of the big themes that I think will carry us into the next year, if I was going to give you some of my feedback, and I think this theme was pretty evident from all these conversations, meet the fans where they are. Because every fan's a little different. And whether you're in marketing or you're in social or you're in operations or you're in team management, it's finding out where those fans are and making sure they're engaged in the right way at the right time. That's the key. Meet the fans where they are. Thanks for listening, everybody. Let's kick some butt in 2023.